We're going to jump into this uh, study. So we're, we're back in Hebrews. I know last week you did Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter that we often call the heroes of faith. And um, today, Hebrews chapter 12 is we're going to be taking a look at. Just as a reminder, the book of Hebrews was, was a book that was written to Jewish believers who were being persecuted. They were suffering. Um, they were ready to, to give up, quite honestly. And, um, and so the writer of Hebrews is wanting to encourage them to persevere, to not quit. And, and so really what we take a look at today in chapter 11 is some real practical words of counsel and encouragement to not quit. You know, when, you, when you're hurting, um, it, it's easy to go back to your old patterns and habits. It's, it's easy to go back to whatever, whatever you were used to. And, and it's, all, it's easy to react instead of be proactive. And, um, and so the writer of Hebrews is trying to make his case for these persecuted, believing Jews that Jesus and the new covenant are so much better than all their old ways. I mean, another way to say that is there is nowhere better to run than to Jesus. And, um, and so we're going to see that as we, we go through this passage. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, which you looked at last week, um, the writer gives this living, breathing example of Old Testament saints um, who have lived according to, to faith, which is that they believed what God said and they, and they lived accordingly. And, and he showed them that just because their faith in God didn't mean, didn't mean they had faith, didn't mean that life was going to be easy. And, and so we read things like this. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Uh, why don't you go ahead and open your Bible there, because we are going to be in, in Hebrews chapter um, 12. So just across the page there in he Hebrews chapter 11. Okay? Hebrews chapter, um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And then when you jump to the end of the chapter, he talks about those who did gain what they were promised, but also talks about those who did not receive what was promised. And, and beginning in verse 32, it says, There were others who were tortured. They refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced years and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed into. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheep's clothes and goat skins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in, in, in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. I mean, said, did, did, was it because these people didn't have faith that they didn't get what was promised? Well, actually, the next verse, verse 39, answers that question for us. It says, no, it says, these were all commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what had been promised. And I had asked this question, why does the writer of Hebrews tell us these stories of faith that yet have not been fulfilled? I mean, how does he want them to be encouraged um, by the faith of those who had suffered? You know, there's this teaching within evangelicalism called, called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. And I realize those are big, big words. But, but basically the idea is this. And that is that, that there, it's a belief that that if you are a morally decent person, then God will give you what you want and make you happy. So if you understand God that way and, and you're ex you're, you have expectations, um, you know, it, it's going to make a huge impact on, on how you live. I mean, if you view God that he is here to serve you and make you happy and, and, he, and he doesn't want anything bad to happen to you, when stuff happens in life, why are you, what's going to happen? It's going to make it very, very difficult for you to trust him. You're going to feel like God has let you down. If that's your understanding of the Christian life, 
um, you're not going to be able to suffer very well. You're not going to be able to go through trials. And you're going to struggle when stuff comes into your life. And, and you're going to wonder, what in the world's happening? Why is this happening to me? So I just want to say that your perspective, your expectation is tremendously significant and important. Imagine this. Imagine you grew up in a third world country where you grew up in a, in a little shed that had a dirt floor, had no electricity, no heat, had no running water, and you only ate every other day. Then you came to the United States of America, and, and let's say that you were in Texas, right, when they had their power outage, like, was it two weeks ago, and they, you know, it was really, really cold? Let's say that you'd come from that third world country, and you were living in Texas, all right, so now you don't have any electricity, you don't have any heat, and, it, and it, you, have, you can't go to the grocery store for a week. I mean, how do you think you respond if you came to a third world country and you experienced that? Probably a lot different than somebody who grew up in America in Texas, right? Why? Because their expectation, their anticipation, their perspective is radically different. And, and so Paul, we look at him, he has this eternal perspective how he looks at life. And he expected trials and hardship. Why? Because Jesus said that you should expect that in your life. And so then we read verses like this. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, Paul says this. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not what on a scene, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Did you, did you hear how Paul describes? Now, if you know anything about the life of Paul, I mean, you, you know that Paul was like, he was beaten, right? He was stoned, left for dead. He was flogged a number of different times, I think three different times. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. And yet, he says, these light and momentary struggles, right? These troubles. I mean, how can he say that? It's because of his perspective. It's because of his perspective. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning as you sit here in this auditorium. Maybe you're somebody who is struggling in your marriage. You know, maybe you're somebody who's struggling with your kids or maybe a coworker. Maybe you're somebody who's struggling here financially because of COVID. Or, or, or maybe you're just struggling emotionally because it's that time of year. I mean, the winter is getting so long. Or maybe because of social distancing. No matter where you are, I think this, this, this message is for you today. That is that we need to stay in the race and not quit. And so we're going to take a look at what the, pro, the writer here of, of Hebrews has to say as a means of encouragement for us in the midst of, of suffering. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, just for the opportunity we have to take a look at your word. Lord, to consider the truths of, of how we're to live our lives, even in the midst uh, of persecution and hardship and trials. Father, I pray that you'd encourage our hearts. Lord, help us to see you in the midst of our own lives. Help us to see ourselves. Lord, give us wisdom to how to respond. Lord, we, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. You're going to follow along with me and read verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's just stop right there. So, so the first thing we notice here is, is this encouragement to run this race of faith. And so the writer of Hebrews is using this athletic metaphor of a race. 
And, and it's not just any race. This is an endurance race. This is, this is an ultra marathon. This is a lifelong running race. We enter this race as believers the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, you know, quite honestly, one of the problems that some believers have is they don't understand that the moment that they trust in Christ, they're entered into this race, right? And, and they wonder what in the world's going on because this is a hard, grueling race that they're in. The word that race that's used here in the Greek literally means agony. This is not a leisurely afternoon run. This is a grueling ultramarathon for life. And it, so it communicates to us that we should not expect the Christian life to be easy, but a time of of training and growth and, quite honestly, suffering. The first thing that we notice <clears throat> as a means of encouragement there, he says, in, in verse 1, he says that we need to look to the examples of others who've already run this race. And so he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, you know, you know good hermeneutics, when you ever see the word therefore, you need to say, what's it therefore? And here it refers back to this great cloud of witnesses is those you talked about in chapter 11. Okay, those uh, who, who Jonathan talked about last week. And, and it might be tempting for us to call these heroes of the faith, if you will, and conclude that we're supposed to live like, or we're supposed to be like them and have this amazing faith. I, I don't think that's the idea uh, of, of, of what's being presented here. You know, it would be like, you know, this idea that we're, we're, uh, we're running this race in a stadium and there's all these Olympic gold medalists who are all watching us run this race. I, I don't know about you, but I don't think that would be tremendously encouraging. I think that would be pretty discouraging. I don't think that's the idea. I think the idea that's being presented here is that, that these witnesses, they're bearing witness to the fact that God can, has seen them through and God likewise can see us through as we exercise faith in him. I mean, quite honestly, when you take a closer look at those mentioned in chapter 11, you see that every one of them was flawed. Right? They all had stuff in their lives. All of them in Hebrews chapter 11. It just so happened they exercised faith in God and they didn't quit. And it was God who then helped them through to persevere to the end. I, I think that's part of the point in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul says it this way. He says, no temptation or no trial has seized you except as common to man, and God is faithful. You know what Satan wants you to believe? Satan wants you to believe that no one else has ever gone through the trial, the suffering, the pain that you are going through. That you are unique, that, that you are special, that you are isolated, and if he can get to believe, you to believe that, he can, get, he, he can defeat you. Because that's not true. That is a lie. I believe the writer, actually, of Hebrews is, is trying to encourage believers that they as well can persevere by faith just as those mentioned in chapter 11 did. They are not a unique or alone. God will be faithful to help you and, and as you trust him and you don't quit, just like he helped them. So the first thing the writer says is we need to look at those who've run, who persevered by faith. The second thing we notice here then is he says that we, we need to look at ourselves and examine how we are running. I mean, how are we to run this, right, this race of, of perseverance? How are we to grow in our faith? And the first thing he says is throw off everything that hinders. You know, anybody who's, who's serious about running an ultra marathon, one of the things that they, they take very seriously is getting rid of extra weight. I mean, you're not going to see somebody running an ultra in blue jeans and a sweatshirt, right? You know what I'm saying? You, you, if, they have, if they're overweight physically, they're going to lose some weight. 
And that is also true for us in this, faith, this race of faith. We need to deal with those things that would hinder us. And those things may, in of themselves may not be bad things, but they may be things that as they slow us down and they keep us from running this race seriously. You know, for example, what are some things that may hinder us? Well, our priorities. We need to examine our priorities to determine if we're busy having fun, right, but we aren't seriously running this race that God has called us to. You know, being busy in our culture actually is quite a problem, isn't it? And it may be that it's not bad stuff. It might be that it's among a bunch of good stuff. But we're sacrificing the good for the best. You know, you've heard it said that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I think there's some truth to that. And, you know, with the Internet and social, you know, and pulling out your phone, you can waste an awful lot of time really fast. Priorities. How about this one? Our diet, right? Somebody who's serious about running, I mean, they're very careful about what they eat, right? You want to make sure they eat a nutritious diet? The same thing is true of us in running this race of faith. We've got to be careful that we're spending adequate time in God's Word, spending time in prayer, so that we're spiritually nourishing ourselves, right? So that we can be healthy and strong. How are you nourishing your soul? I mean, if you're getting a steady diet of just watching the news on TV, you're going to be depressed, Right? I mean, we need to spend time in God's Word and see what, what the promises of His Word and where hope is found. And, and if you're only coming to church once a week, right, and you're getting fed once a week, just imagine what that would be like if you did that physically. Right? You only ate like once or twice a week? You would be anemic when you came here. And spiritually, if you're only eating once a week when you come here to church and listen to somebody preach, it's, that may be, the, may be part of what's hindering you in this race. How about this? Our attitude, Right? Sometimes the thing that hit us is our attitude. And you know, in running, attitude is huge. It is very, very important. We may be running this race, but, but we don't really care if we win anymore. Hey, it's, it's a lot easier just to talk to your friends as you're running along. Matter of fact, my, one of my daughters, when she ran in junior high, consistently, she would chat the whole time she was running with her friend. And then at the very end, her friend would run faster, and she always would beat her. It's like, what do you, why do you do that, right? It's like, well, it's, it's just fun, right? When she finally got the high score, coach wouldn't let her do that. But, but anyway, <laughs> our attitude, right? It's not okay for us to be complacent in our attitude. I mean, spiritual apathy is a real problem. You're not bad, right? You just aren't passionate about the things of the Lord or about his mission for your life. Now listen to what Paul says about this, all right? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Paul has something to say about the attitude we should have when we run this race. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I mean, what is Paul telling us here? Paul tells us that we need to run this race with a desire to win. That is to do our very, very best. Why? It's not because that's how we are accepted by God. No, we seek to do our best because we're already loved and accepted by God. I mean, if you're not, if you're not accepted by God, you're not already in this race then, 
okay? So, so we run to do our best because we're talking about making an eternal difference. And, and think about it. There is a world, there is a world full of eternally damned people who need our witness. And think about it. Our witness is really, really powerful and strong when we are suffering, when we are going through hardship and trials, and we are trusting in Jesus Christ in the midst of that, and they see that in our lives, right? And they need to see that because they need to see Christ. So number one, we need to throw off everything that hinders. And then secondly, we need to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. Now last week, Pastor Jonathan preached, and he talked about faith. And he says, faith is believing what God says and acting accordingly, okay? If we know God's word, but we're not obeying it, we're sinning. And, and the picture here is, is getting tripped up and falling. I mean, have you ever run and your shoelaces become untied? It's kind of annoying because you've got to stop in time. But if you continue, I say, I don't want to. So you continue to, to run even so, it can become dangerous, right? Because it can cause you to fall and seriously harm yourself. And so it is with sin. If we allow sin into our lives, it will trip us up and cause us to fall and can defeat us. And if you are serious about running this race of faith, you have to deal with sin in your life by confessing it and forsaking it. That includes sins of commission, right? This is sins that we know that these are wrong and we do them. We lose our temper. We, we give in to temptation. We, we gossip. But it also has to deal with sins of omission, Things that we, we should be doing that we're not doing. We, like, for example, I already mentioned, we, we know we should read the scriptures and spend time with God in prayer, but we don't do it. We, we, we know that, that if we have a conflict with somebody else, that we should go and we should have a conversation with them and get things straightened out, but we don't do it. James 14, 4, 17 says it this way. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Jesus Christ died so we could be forgiven. He went to the cross so we can repent of our sins and we can be cleansed. And if you're going to run this race successfully, number one, you need to throw off everything that hinders. And secondly, you need to run, you need to get rid of that sin that would easily entangle us. And then thirdly, he says, we need to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. To, to persevere in the race is to not quit. And even more, is to even thrive in the midst of hardship. Galatians 6, 9 says it this way, Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up, if we don't quit. But I, but I want you to notice the second part of that. He says, notice it says that this race that is marked out for us. So who is it that determines the race course for which we run? It's God, right? And, and we all run in this race but you realize we're not all running. Our race course doesn't all look the same for all of us. This is where we need to trust that God is sovereignly superintending over our lives and that he will not give us more than we can bear, but will help us to run victoriously as we trust in him. All right, so the next question then is, so how do we develop this discipline so we can run this race, right? And, and the, so the writer continues on. So let's pick it up, verse 5. You have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, 
Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as, 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 as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for that. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines for our good that we might share in his holiness. No dis discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So how can we develop this discipline to run this race? I mean, here the, here the writer changes the metaphor from, from um, running to a picture of a relationship with our Father, all right? And you think about it. When you're going through life and, and you're struggling, which is a more helpful picture? Is it, is it more helpful to think about this is an exercise from your coach or to see that this is your loving Father, right, who is there for you? Well, he, he changes this metaphor to the Father. And, and the key word here in this passage, this portion, is, is discipline. The idea is that the trials of the Christian life are to be viewed as a spiritual discipline that helps the believer to mature. Instead of trying to escape the difficulties of life, we should be exercised by them so that they help us to grow. You know, sometimes when we think of discipline, we, we think of the consequences for doing wrong, like, you know, a child lies, right? I mean, the worst thing that we as parents could do would be to do it nothing, right? But because we love for them, because we care for them and their well-being, we bring consequences so that they'll become trustworthy. Discipline is not retribution or condemnation, but is suffering that is allowed by our Heavenly Father for our good. Discipline brings pain to help us to grow. It is good, right? It is for our good. It's not to punish us. Scripture is very clear that God does not punish his children. All of his wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And that's why Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now think about it. It would have been really easy, right, for these Jews to feel like God is allowing them to suffer because he doesn't love them. Because he's angry with them. And so the writer, the writer here reminds them of Solomon's proverb that it, sound, that it seems that they have forgotten. And so look in verse 5. It says this. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. You catch it? It says here that the Lord disciplines who? Those he loves, right? This is an act of God's love. Now, it does use the word punishment here, but understand the word punishment that's used in that verse means to discipline in order to correct our faults. So it's not punitive, okay? So when suffering, it, it's, it's often common for us to ask the question, why, why, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? One of the assumptions of even asking that question is that God tried to explain it to us that we would even understand I mean, picture this. Picture a, child, a parent takes their two-year-old to get immunization shots, all right? So they come into the doctor's office, and the doctor says, okay, you know, Dad, can you hold your daughter tight, right? And I'm going I'm to give them, give them a shot. And so the doctor comes up, 
right, and, and gives the shot, and, and it's painful, and, and, the, and the little child is, is, is wrapped in the dad's arm, and the eyes are looking up, and it says, why are you allowing this evil man to hurt me? Make him stop, right? And of course, the two-year-old doesn't understand that this is for their good and for their protection. It's been said, God may hurt you, but he won't harm you. Think about that. God may hurt you, but he will never harm you. Is it possible that there are situations in your life that we don't fully understand, and even if God wanted to explain them to you, you just wouldn't understand? You just wouldn't get it? I want to suggest to you that that's where faith comes in. We believe what God says. We trust in him even when we don't fully understand. And this is where we need to trust, even as verse 10 said, that God disciplines us for our good. Now the analogy that's been given here is, is a father with a child. We need to learn to accept suffering as a child. That is hard. That is humbling. But if we're not willing to do that, we will become bitter when God seems to be letting us down. See, that's the problem. I mentioned that the moralistic therapeutic deism. See, that's the problem with that. There is no place for them, for God to discipline them. Right? Because God's supposed to only do good for them. People who despair are people who think they know everything and that God, they don't deserve God's discipline. But notice... The goal of God's discipline in this passage is holiness. It's holiness. I mean, if you got into Christianity and you think that, that, you know, so you can get things from God, then you really don't want a heavenly father. What you want is a sugar daddy. You want somebody who's just going to give you whatever you want. And you think that, you know, hey, I obey and he's indebted to me. If, you, if that's the way you think, you don't even understand what the gospel is. And listen, if you don't yearn for holiness, you will never suffer well. A better question to ask then is not, why is this happening to me? But what is God trying to teach me? How does God want to make me more like Jesus Christ? How does he want me to learn holiness through this trial? What are my responses to suffering saying about what's going on in my heart? What's important to me? Now, if you ask any of those questions, even though you may not fully understand what God is doing, you'll grow. You'll grow. This, this is what Paul says. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Paul describes a, a time of incredible suffering in his life. Listen to what he says. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we are experiencing in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired for life itself. You hear this, what he's saying here? He says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That sounds pretty se severe, doesn't it? But he said, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. But notice why he, he said God allowed this suffering. Did you notice it? He said so that we might learn to not rely on ourselves, but what? But learn to depend upon 
God. Hebrews 12, 11 says, God disciplines, discipline produces a, a, a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness is this idea of learning how to live right. A harvest of righteousness and of peace for those who've been trained by it. But notice it says this. It says growth is not automatic. We have to be trained by it. We have to respond properly to it. So how do we develop discipline to run this race? We need to see that, that the disciplines of our lives come through the hands of our loving Father that he might mature us and grow us. All right, now, so where does the power come for us to run this race? Now, if you, you noticed, I, I skipped over this. We're going to go back to this. But let's, let's review. So we've seen that we need to look at the example of others, right, who've run this race by faith already. We need, we've seen that we need to look at ourselves and see what may be hindering us in this race. We, we've seen that we need to look to our Heavenly Father and see that He wants to use suffering to help us to grow and mature. And, and now He says we need to look to Jesus. So look at chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, when you're running a race, it's really, really important where you focus your attention, where you focus your eyes. But unfortunately, when we're suffering, we are tempted, right? to do all kinds of things. We're tempted to, to look to the world's way of dealing with things and try to deaden the pain. You know, sometimes when we're suffering, you may be tempted to look at amusements and, 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 and hobbies and, and activities to be distracted. Sometimes when you're suffering, you might be tempted to look to other relationships other than Jesus Christ, right, to try to find meaning, meaning in those to try to cover up your pain. Sometimes we look to, to being religious and doing good stuff and think somehow that if we do that, then we'll be acceptable enough to God so maybe he'll stop these trials. But the Hebrew writer tells us that the only way to run this race is to keep our eyes focused, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, anytime you try to run a race and you're not keeping your eyes focused on what's ahead of you, that's not good. You're going to fall, right? You're going to run off course. It's kind of like driving down the road, right? And they say, hey, you're not supposed to text, right? Because why? Because you take your focus off the road, you put it on something else. You know, Eventually, what's going to happen? You're going to crash. I think that's, this is the whole point that I think Hebrews is building up to, and that is that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, that he is the only way. Now, it talks about two different aspects of this. Okay, Jesus as the author, right? Jesus as the author of our faith who, faith, who makes it possible for us to even be in this race. So Hebrews says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. We need, the idea here is to look to Jesus means that we would trust in him. Now notice what it says about the race that, that Jesus ran. It, it says that it included the cross. So Jesus Christ came to this world. He was born of the virgin, right? He lived a sinless life. He's God in the flesh come to us. He was crucified on a Roman cross. Why? It wasn't because of anything that he had done. 
but it was because of what we have done. It was because of the sin that we deserved. And he was willing to be our substitute. That is, that he was, his, our sin was placed upon him. He paid the penalty of death that we, our sins, deserve. Why? Because God is a holy God. He can't tolerate sin. He judges those who deserve sin, who deserve death. But because of his great love for us, the scriptures tell us, God allowed Jesus Christ to take the punishment that we deserve so that we can have our sins forgiven. And if you are willing to place your faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross for you, you can be forgiven as well, right? And, and not only did he die, but he rose again from the dead. And so it says in this verse that he sits now at the right hand of the throne of God. And this really is the challenge. This first part of that, he has the author of our faith. I mean, if you sit here today and you have never placed your trust, never put your faith in Jesus' death for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, that's the challenge I would give you today. Because until you do that, you're not even in this race of faith. But look to Jesus as the author of your faith so that you can live, so that you can have eternal life, so that you can have this relationship and even begin to enter into this race. It's only because of the cross that we even are in this race. And we could ask this question, then, then why do we even run in such a way to win? And we've already mentioned this. It's not to earn salvation, but it's an expression of our love and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. It's the love of God that compels us to persevere in this race. So that's Jesus as the author of our faith. When then it goes on, he says, Jesus as the perfecter of our faith, that he has completed the race and he wants to help us to finish the race as well. The idea here of Jesus as the perfecter of our faith is the idea that he completed the race. He continued to trust his heavenly Father until he was able to say, it is finished. Jesus not only gives us an example of someone who endured to the end, but also is one who wants to empower us to complete the race as well. Notice it says that right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what he's doing there? You know what Jesus is doing? Ro Romans 8, 34 tells us. It says that he is interceding with his Father on our behalf. Did you catch that? Jesus is sitting by the Father, and he is talking to his Heavenly Father about us so we don't lose heart and quit. And that is what God does for us. When we're experiencing pain and we are struggling to run this race, we can have confidence that we have a loving Father who won't let us do it alone. He left his place in heaven to come alongside of us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he promises that he will always be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us to the end of the age. And notice what he says then in verses 3 and 4. He says, consider him, consider Christ, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider Christ, what he went through. Now, a number of years ago, I was a counselor, and this is a long time ago, I was a counselor at a camp, and uh, the camp was on an island, and when you came on the island, as soon as you got there, there was this really, really steep hill. And one of the disciplines that we used to use for the campers, probably it's against the law now, I don't know, but anyway, one of the disciplines we used to use was um, we, they had to run this hill, right? So I had this camper, it was night, lights out, he's supposed to be going to bed, and he keeps messing around, he keeps talking. I say, that's, they call, we called these zingers, right? Up and down was one Zinger, this hill was actually called Cardiac Hill, so that gives you an idea. It was steep and kind of long, okay? 
So I said, all right, that's three zingers. And he kept messing around. All right, well, that's three more. And he finally got quiet. So the next day, this, this camper and I, we go over to the bottom of the hill, and we run up and down. That's one zinger. We run up. So we do two. You know, we do three. We got, we got to the top of the hill after the third one. He stopped. He quits. And he's, this is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, going, I'm getting out of here. So he starts walking towards the payphone. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to call my grandma. I'm going to ask my grandma to come and get me. It's okay. I said, but just let me ask you one question before you do. My, this was my question to him. Have I asked you to do anything that I haven't done with you? Because I ran all those zingers with him. And he stopped and he looked at me. And he thought about it. And you know what he did? He went back and he ran the other three zingers. Now why did he do that? I think it's the whole point of what this verse is saying here. Let us consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men. He endured so much that he died. You know what? We're persevering in this. We're not even close to what he went through. Right? And he's going through that with us. Jesus is acutely aware of the perseverance that is needed to run this race. He knows what it is like and he is more than ready to come alongside of us and help us if we will call on him. And that is why the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. So let us approach right, God's throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You understand what's being said there? He totally understands. And he wants us to cry out to him. Jesus also says that he indwells us via the Holy Spirit to help us to run this race of faith. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Hear that? Christ lives within me. In this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In and of myself, I can't complete this race. But because Jesus Christ is in me, I can endure to the end. I can say it this way. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to run this race. But you know what? In and of yourself, you can't do it. But Jesus Christ, he completed the race for us. And now that I am in Christ, I can do this. I can run this race. Not by myself, but in his power and in his strength. I need to fix my eyes on him. Now what's the reward? What's the reward for finishing this race? This race is not about earning salvation, right? You have to be a believer to even be in this race. No, the only reason that you're able to run this race is because you are already in Christ. This is a race of faith that God wants to use in our lives, what? To help us to grow, to help us mature in our faith. So why are we running this race? Well, it says here in this passage, it says, for the joy that was set before him. We run to get the joy and the glory of God into our souls. We run because all become, to become all that God intended for us to be. We don't, we don't run to get heaven. We already have heaven if we're in Christ. We run to hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, let me just wrap this up. Some action steps then for us to run with perseverance. 
Number one, anticipate. Anticipate that there is going to be suffering and trials and believe that through faith in Christ you can complete this race of faith. Remember I talked about perspective and expectation? We need to anticipate that we're going to have suffering. There's going to be trials. There may be persecution. We need to expect it. Now some of you may not want to hear that, but, I, but I'm telling you, if you anticipate it, you're going to be prepared for it or you can prepare for it, and realize that you're not alone in this. Number two, identify areas in your life that are hindering you in your race of faith. Are you daily spending time in God's word and in prayer? Is there sin in your life that you need to repent of, and you need to not just repent, but you need to replace with right attitudes and right actions and right thoughts? And, 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 and really, if you're like, I'm not really sure, just ask somebody who knows you really well. Say, hey, did you, did you see any attitudes, any actions, any speech that you would say that's probably not becoming to me as a believer in Christ? Now, don't ask that if, you don't, if you're not serious about it. But if you're really not sure, ask. And then take the steps to do something about that. And if you don't know what steps to take about that, I mean, find another believer and say, hey, I need help. Find some, you know, somebody here from the church who can come alongside of you and help you with that. When suffering comes, don't ask why. Ask what. What is, what is God trying to teach you through this trials and suffering? Remember, God loves you, and any discipline in your life is meant for your good to help you to grow if you're willing to be trained by it. And then lastly, fix your eyes on Jesus. I already mentioned, if you've never trusted him as your Savior, repent of your sins, express your desire that you want to turn away from your sins and you want to turn to Christ in faith, right? Trusting what he's done for you. Remember, you're not running this race alone. Christ is right there with you. Trust him. Reach out to him through prayer. Let him speak into your life through his word. He wants to help you. To not quit, but to finish this race, to persevere to the very, very end. Will you let him do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Lord, all throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer has been making this case that Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than, than the Old Testament <coughs> covenant. He's, he's better than, than the angels. He's, he's, he's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than the high priest. He's better than the temple. He's better than all of these things. It comes down to Jesus. And are we willing to look to him? Are we willing to plead and ask him for help? Are we willing to rely on him and not look to anything else and, and rely on it? God, I pray, help us. Help us in this race to persevere to the end. Help us to not quit. Thank you, Father, that, that Jesus has come alongside of us, that Jesus indwells us, that Jesus empowers us, that he helps us to be able to do this if we let him. And he wants to do that. 
God, I pray for each in this room, Lord, for those particularly who maybe they're discouraged, they're tired, they're weary. They've been running this race, and, and they just, they've been thinking about quitting. God, I pray encourage their heart. Help them to see that in Christ they can be victorious. And Lord, if they need help, I pray that they would reach out, that they would ask for help. Somebody who can point them to how they can do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.